Hello and welcome to another episode of Pod Slamma Jamma presented by Clutch City Control Room. Uh, that is correct. We are officially back with Clutch City Control Room and we're starting something new, the official first video podcast of Pod Slamma Jamma. I'm one of your hosts. My name is Andy Anas. You can follow me on Twitter at Ayanas underscore five day on. I'll let you introduce yourself a little bit. Where can people find you, sir? Yeah, I'm the second co-host. Just as you see on the screen, you can follow me on Twitter at Instagram at Dayon Dunlap. Onward and upward for sure. I'm ready to do it. And uh, today we are joined by a very special guest, Jeremy Branham, who does a little bit about anything, uh, everything in uh, the city of Houston. Obviously, he has his own radio show, The Killer Bees, on ESPN 97.5. You might know him, obviously, of course. We're a University of uh, Houston-focused podcast. You might know him. His voice uh, calling a lot of the men's basketball games this season will bring him in. Jeremy, how are you doing, sir? Thank you for taking the time out of your day and joining us. Yeah, you got it. Uh, I think your definition of special is pretty loose, but uh, I appreciate the kind <laughs> words. Thanks for having me. Big fan of your work, Andy, with the what you've done with the – I know it more from when you were working with the the Cougar covering Houston sports. And day on, I've known you for almost a decade now, it seems. So big fan of you guys, too. We thank you. Thank you for joining us. And on that note, we'll toss it over to our intro and go from there. Across midfield, Jones just waiting for somebody. Jones inside the 20 to the 10, and for the fifth time in his career, will not be stopped. Here's Grimes in a pull-up three. Oh, Grimes, dead-eye shooter. Blair to Patterson in the corner for three. To midcourt. That's Mark at the buzzer. And on that note, we can start off the show. Jeremy, we're going to we're gonna throw you a little bit in the fire. Uh, we're mm-hmm. going to start off with uh, a really interesting question. Obviously, of course, the University of Houston men's basketball team, uh, just a little over. Uh, and we're getting close to two weeks to when their season ended, uh, following a 32-6 and six finished. Obviously, of course, we know the story. Marcus Sasser gets injured uh, around Christmas time. Uh, a lot of question marks go with the University of Houston uh, team. Where would they go? Would they still be favored in the American Athletic Conference? And and what Kelvin Sampson, the entire coaching staff, and the players did, uh, they started off conference play hot out the gates, finished 15-3 and three in conference play on the season. And once they got into the NCAA tournament, uh, were a couple of plays away from a back-to-back Final Four appearances. Uh, Jeremy Branham, obviously, of course, you called – uh, you were right there with them for the entire season, calling the games, uh, especially the home games with Elvin Hayes. Um, so we're going to throw you right into the fire, Jeremy. Uh, was this past year Calvin Sampson's best coaching performance uh, during his UH coaching career, trumping uh, the 2020-21 season's Final Four run? What say you? It's hard to argue that it's not. And I think all the reasons that you brought up, I, I mean – 
I didn't put it past Coach Sampson, though, when the injuries happened that this team would still win the American Conference. So it's a, it's a tough question to answer in terms of like, you know, it's a very relative, broad statement. Is this the best coaching job he's had in his eight years at the University of Houston? Because I think he's been a great coach the whole step of the way. Uh, but it's really hard to, to say that he's not, right? I mean, losing who was your top scorer at the time, Marcus Sasser, who I thought was playing at, a, at an All-American level. Uh, Tremont Mark was coming on, coming on, and you heard that, you know, kind of coming into the season that he was shaping up to being potentially your second best player on what was going to be a very good team. And then, you know, he could never really get in the groove with the shoulder injury. You lost him pretty early. And then you get the news around Christmas time that uh, Marcus Sasser is going to be out for the year as well. So I think you have a lot of that. And everybody has the immediate reaction of, oh, what's going to happen now? What are we going to do now? And not, not Kelvin Sampson. You know, he kind of went the other way. Well, this is what we're going to do now. We're going to have to kind of reinvent who we are, what we're going to look look like. And, you know, we're still going to win the, this conference championship. So, you know, you look at the message to the team right around that time, which was, you know, the message that the, the players needed to hear, right? Okay, we, we're without our top two players, but no, we're still good enough. We're still good enough to win. We're still good enough, you know, to win the American Conference. We're still good enough to make a deep run through the NCAA tournament. So I thought that that was great from like a, a psychological point of view. And then you see it tangibly right on the floor. You know, Josh Carlton had the, the few games coming out of that. Uh, early in conference play where he was scoring 30 points against USF. And it seems like he had a double-double every single night. And defenses had to change the way that they were going to play Houston. And then Kyler Edwards, remember, he, he had a sprained ankle, badly sprained ankle, right, when Marcus Sasser broke yeah. his foot. So he actually missed the Temple game in the conference opener. And then he came out after he recovered, and he was scoring 20, 25 points. And he had a hot stretch. So, yeah, the job that he, that Kelvin Sampson did is, uh, you know, a testament to his his coaching career it's hard to argue that it was the best job here at houston although it's hard to put it ahead of a final four but this year's run yeah. was great i mean you get all the way to an elite eight uh you come very close to going to back-to-back -back final fours and to me it just kind of reassures that kelvin sampson's one of if not the best coach in all of college basketball dan i'll let you toss it away do you have any uh questions for jeremy yeah, for sure. Just to follow up with that and kind of the um, coach on the floor, the the extension from Coach Sampson on the floor was J Jamal Shedd. Just talk about the evolution from you seeing his from how when, when he was inserted into the starting lineup and then just kind of really not looking back. Yeah, I think there's two ways to look at it. One's the the player point of view, right? It shows us how good Jamal Shedd is as a player, and we didn't get a chance to see that in his first year on campus because he was – he wasn't able to get the minutes. You know, he was he was behind uh, Dejon Giroux, who was instrumental to a Final Four team. He was behind a loaded backcourt that had Quentin Grimes and Marcus Sasser uh, that were instrumental to a Final Four team. So he just there weren't the minutes there for a young player. Uh, and then it shows you that once he got his opportunity, what what he could do. Uh, I love what he brings to this Houston Cougar team. He showed us some offense this year. He showed us a three point shot that. Uh, I'm not sure a lot of people thought he had that, you know, but he still can improve in that area. Sure. Everybody has things that they can improve on, but shot it over a 30% clip. And a lot of people didn't know that he was capable of doing that. He was very good at attacking the basket mismatches. Uh, he could finish around the rim. We saw the teardrops he was able to produce. So he showed you that offensively, but then what he does better than anything offensively is how much of a playmaker he is for his teammates, led the conference in assists, was in the top 10 in the nation in assists. Uh, so he's a true point guard. And then, of course, on the defensive side, if you don't play defense, you're, you're not going to really get a lot of minutes on this team. And 
he, he proved this year that he was one of the better on-ball defenders in the American Conference. So he's, he's that leader on the floor, the extension of the coach that you're talking about, a, a, a pass-first point guard, but also has the ability to score, and then his defense top-notch. And then the second way to look at that is just the development uh, that the coaching staff has with these players. And we see it year in, year out. There's always a player or two. It's like, oh, okay, that's who that player is going to be. Uh, and we saw with Jamal Shedd. I mean, I think we saw with Quentin Grimes, you know, the, the way that he looked year one in Houston versus year two in Houston was, was night and day. I mean, transformed into an All-American player. And, you know, sometimes the development of players can get overlooked. It's like, oh, okay, he finally had the opportunity. What's well, the time that he spent, right? I mean, the, the working on his craft, uh, the coach is working with him every single day, you know, whenever he wasn't getting the minutes as a freshman. Uh, so, you know, that stuff is kind of hidden a lot of times. You don't see it, but that speaks to the hard work this this coaching staff puts in every single day, the players that they recruit that are going to work hard every single day too, that the player development in this program is top-notch, and you see it year in, year out. And I think, you know, we saw it as a true testament to what Jamal Shedd did this year is that player development is one of the critical pillars of the Houston Cougar basketball team. Yeah, and along those notes, one of those players, I mean, uh, for most of the season, Houston was trotting out an eight-man rotation. Uh, and really, it was it was one guard and two bigs in Reggie Chaney and Jaywan Roberts. Uh, that one guard was Ramon Walker, who was honestly the lone freshman that was getting a lot of minutes uh, during this previous run. Uh, can you talk a little bit about what you saw from Ramon Walker, especially uh, calling all those games? It, it, was always, it always seemed like he had at least one hustle play, whether it be uh, drawing a charge or diving for a loose ball. It was always something that, that stood out uh, game by game. Yeah, I love the effort that Ramon Walker would give you every single game. Uh, you know, he was he's tough, tough as nails. And, you know, as a freshman, you're good. You're going to make mistakes along the way. And, and Ramon Walker, I think one of the things that encourages you is they became fewer and fewer as the season went on. And you could start to see his confidence start to pick up, too. And I knew that he was starting to you know feel confident based on when he was starting to knock down the shots and most importantly, how he was taking those shots. You know, early when he was playing, there were some times where there was a little bit of hesitation after he caught it. Should I be shooting this? Should I not be shooting this? And then, you know, something kind of clicked with him where it's like, okay, I'm going to be confident in this shot. I know I'm a good shooter. And it probably had something to do with his hand, too. Remember, he had the surgery on his, mm -hmm. on his hand early in the year. So I think there was an element of, like, how much do I trust this hand right now? How much do I trust my shot right now? Uh, but the more he played, the more he got minutes, the more confidence he got in his shot. And then you're right. I mean, defensively and in hustle, he plays hard. Hard. You can see why Kelvin Sampson, uh, there's always a reason he's recruiting his players, obviously, but Ramon Walker, you know, fits that culture of what Houston wants draw charges, uh, chase after rebounds. Ramon Walker, very good rebounding guard. I think, you know, we look at the charges he draws and the diving plays and the hustle plays that he has. And, you know, he had some big hustle plays down the stretch that led to some wins. Wichita State game comes to mind. Uh, a very good rebounding guard. I'm really excited to see his development. You know, what, what's he going to look like with a couple of years in this system? And I'm ready to see what he's going to do in the future. Really like his shot a lot. He plays with so much heart and emotion that it's, it's an easy. I kind of had a follow up with that. And with the player who's been in the system a few years now, J1 Roberts, I think his role is going to expand even more as Fabian now has departed. What are you seeing from him as far as his development and him taking that next step as he's going to be counted on even more to being just a, a rebounding and an energy guy? Yeah, I think we've seen J1 Roberts in, in flashes of what he can do, right? We saw a couple of games where he was 
dominant on the uh, on the glass, especially on the offensive side. I remember the Alabama game where he was he had eight offensive rebounds off the top of my head, something like that. Uh, you know, somebody that was getting some heavy minutes down the stretch too. Once the the American Conference tournament came around, uh, once the, you know the NCAA tournament came around. I mean, Houston was counting on him to, to play significant minutes, you know, 15, close to 20 minutes at times. Uh, he gives you excellent speed defensively. You know, he's a big 4-5. Uh, you can play either one of those positions. Uh, very fast, great defender uh, because he has that speed. He's a rim protector too. Like, he, he might not be, like, the tallest dude. I think he's listed at 6'8", 6'9", something like that. But his arm, his 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 reach is un- uh, unbelievable. He's got such long arms that it, it compensates – you know, I mean, six nine still tall, but he plays at a much taller level because I mean, he can he can block shots, he can protect the rim, and then he's so good moving his feet that you trust him defensively. And then uh, in terms of rebounding, I mean, he can he can rebound about as good as anybody. I haven't looked at the numbers to the sense of where like you know NBA has these like per forty eight stats where how many points does he score per forty eight minutes? How many rebounds does he grab per forty eight minutes? I would imagine Jawan Roberts, if you were to put together like a per 40, because college basketball plays 40 minutes, of course, I think he would probably be the best rebounder on this team. I would have to look at that, but his rebounding's through the roof. And I think offensively, we're going to see more from Jawan. Jawan's a capable shooter. I mean, if you watch him in practices and you watch him in shoot-arounds, and he even took four threes this year. He missed, he didn't make any of them. Uh, but he's somebody who knocks down those threes. I wouldn't surprise. I wouldn't be surprised if you see him, you know, ha- add a mid-range jumper to his game. And then he showed you too the ability. If you give him the ball on the post and in the paint, he uses his speed and his lateral quickness to get a, by a lot of you know the, the more bigger, lumbering big men. And he can beat you to the rim. He can beat you to the basket. So I'm really excited to, to see him get more minutes. I think he's as a candidate to lead the conference in rebounds. Uh, because that's how good of a rebounder he is, and I think we will see an, you know, an added element and an extra dimension to his offensive game as he plays more minutes, you think, going forward. And on that note, obviously, of course, we we have to ask you about uh, the, the player that, that really has kind of embodied the UH identity, certainly the last few years uh, here, and that's got to be Fabian White. And, and all the years he's put into the program, uh, obviously, of course, just in the past two years, what he's had to do with a reba- rehabbing from the ACL injury, coming back early uh, to help Houston that final four run a year ago. And and really this season, he kind of turned into the identity player for Houston. And, and there were many instances um, where he was kind of the spark, not only when Houston needed an offensive basket, especially after Marcus Sasser left, but just being able to be that calming presence, that veteran uh, player. What what did you see from Fabian White this season? And, and honestly, how he's grown for throughout his time with Houston? Yeah, it's been a lot of fun watching Fabian grow uh, to see him as a, you know, as a young kid, as a freshman, and see the evolution of his career to becoming the the winningest player in Houston Cougar basketball history has been awesome. Uh, he went to Atascacita High School. I'm too old to have gone to Atascacita High School, but I lived in Atascacita whenever I was in high school. Went to Humble High School instead. Uh, I broadcasted a few of his high school games. I remember watching him against Kingwood whenever he was, you know, in high school at Atascacita. You know, we, we all know he played with Carson Edwards, uh, who was in the NBA for a little bit, too. And seeing, you know, what he started as as a freshman and then seeing him add a little bit more to his game as a sophomore and then seeing him add a little bit more to his game uh, as a junior and then hearing the news that he tore his ACL and just, you know, the heartbreak you feel for Fabian that, you know, he had to, to go through that. Uh, but then, you know, kind of adding to his Houston Cougar basketball legend, right? He came back sooner than everybody thought he would come back. And the reason he came back is he wanted to play in the tournament. And, and he came back early and was a, a you know behind Justin Gorham, 
uh, gave you some minutes off the bench, some very quality minutes while he was trying to get back to 100%. And then he was on a team and was a significant contributor on a team that went to the Final Four. So that was, I mean, I love that for Fabian White, you know, especially after the injury. And then going into it, what was going to be his final year, you know, you expected him to be the, the leader. You expected him to be the captain on this team. And he was always known for, you know, being kind of quiet, right? You know, being that quiet leader. And to see him get, you know, more vocal, he, he didn't, you know, shy away from who he was. He kind of had that quiet confidence. Uh, you know, he wasn't going to, you know, pull you aside and yell in your face. He wasn't going to be an over-the-top demonstrative leader. But uh, everybody looked up to him. You know, he, he'd say a quiet word to you when you needed to hear the, that word. And, and you're right. When the, when Houston needed a big bucket, they, they turned to Fabian White. You know, 6-0 run. Okay, let's get the ball Fabian White and let him go to work. Uh, so he was that that calming presence, and to watch his career play out, especially since I grew up in the area that he grew up, was uh, was a lot of fun for me uh, to see Fabian grow up right before our eyes. Yep. What surprised you most about the team as far as the way that they played? I, I mean, I'm like you. I kind of expected them to continue their winning ways. I expected Coach Sampson to to figure out a way to continue winning. But as you watch the entire season and you kind of have time to reflect a little bit, it, what what do you see? Like, like okay, I, I'm really not – maybe not surprised isn't the word, but what was it that you was really, really impressed by maybe that you maybe didn't see coming? Yeah, I mean, I think when you have a program that has won to the level that they've won, I think, you know, you look at the the most wins in program history in the last like five years, seven years, you look at the different windows, you know, they're right there with Gonzaga. I mean, Houston's one of the best programs in the entire country. So I don't think them winning is a surprise, right? I don't think them going to the Elite Eight is a surprise. Uh, maybe some people uh, outside of the program that don't follow this program as closely as we do, you know, they see a couple of injuries and like, oh, well, this team, this team can't get there. And I think you saw that nationally too. You know, Houston had you know very high net ranking. Maybe they didn't have the quad one wins, but it seemed like everybody expected them to fall expected the run to end at some point like every team's run ends at some point but a lot of people thought it'd come way before the elite eight you know popular pick to lose in round one not many people had them getting by illinois nobody had them getting by arizona and even i think the selection committee and look you can argue resumes and quad one wins and net rankings what matters what doesn't matter but I think a little bit of the seeding too had you know marcus sasser's out tremont mark is out somewhere in the mind of uh, the NCAA selection committee and Houston proved that, oh, you shouldn't look at that. And I think they, they proved that to me, it's more of a, you know, being proud of this university, being proud of what they did whenever you were counted out and whenever you were doubted, you know, a lot, it, it, very easy to just you know, roll over. Right. Uh, this team's not about that. This team doesn't have that mentality. It's okay. Well, you know, that, that stinks that that happened, but we got to live with it. We got to make the best possible outcome of what we can do with it. And I think that kind of represents how we all have to live life, right? Like, hey, something bad might happen in your day, but you got to move on. You got to try to make the best of the situation. And I think it kind of represented Houstonians. I think it represents the city of Houston, how hard they work, no excuses. They're going to do their absolute best. They're going to fight and claw you to the bitter end, even whenever they're not having their best day. I think that's a Villanova game. Look, they fought and clawed in that game uh, when it wasn't their best game. You know, it wasn't, the, it wasn't their best uh, wasn't their best day at the office. So to me, it's just proud. And hey, look, I'm, I'm the Houston radio guy, so I have a bit of bias. I went to the University <laughs> of Houston. I'm an alum, so I have the bias. But, you know, after losing that Villanova game, I always get sad when we lose, but I just couldn't help but be so proud of the team. You know, what they went through this year, how they represented, you know, me as an alumnus, the, the entire university, I think even the city. I think the city of Houston is a, you know, it is a diverse, it's a blue-collar city. 
And I think that uh, the Houston Cougars represent that. And it, it just makes me proud. And I think if you're a Houstonian, it makes you proud that they have the Houston across their chest. Don't go anywhere because coming right up, our conversation with Jeremy Branham continues. We'll talk more about memorable moments for this past season for the Houston men's basketball team. You're listening to Pod Slamma Jamma. And we're back, obviously, of course, being joined by Jeremy Branham, uh, the voice of UH Athletics, like, uh, well, of the UH men's basketball team, not necessarily all of UH Athletics uh, just quite yet, Jeremy, but I know you do a lot, uh, not just to be on uh, the men's basketball team, but uh, that that's kind of your forte. So, obviously, of course, when you look back at the past season, there were so many memorable moments uh, in terms of just games overall, and I think the, the number one game that has to come to mind is that Wichita State a double overtime game uh, up in Kansas where uh, honestly it was it was a pretty crazy game not just when you look at the element of having a double overtime it, it doesn't happen often but uh, just the ups and downs of that game and and Houston clawing back and like you just mentioned with the the blue collar mindset finding a way to win that game uh, what what were some of the other memorable moments or was that one of the the top that come to mind when you think back about this season you know, I haven't had that. I haven't thought about that yet, which usually at this point I probably would have. Um, the Wichita State game, you're right. That That's something that you look back at is like that was your like almost buzzer beater, like your dramatic down to the wire finish. I remember what I remember from that game is the the Ramon Walker hustle dive. We were talking about Ramon Walker yeah. making some hustle plays earlier, you know, keeping that play alive, big bucket after that. Uh, also remember that I think Shed had 5.1, 5.4 seconds to, to, to get the ball up the floor after Porter tied the game and he drove yeah. the length of the four, drove the 94 feet, found Jawan Roberts for the slam. And my, my thought there, and I remember listening to Coach Sampson in his press conference after that, was if you go back to the game in which they lost in the uh, the Maui Gym, Maui Invitational, which was played mm-hmm. in Las Vegas, as we know, uh, there was a situation very similar where, where the execution early in the year you know, wasn't what it was going to be later in the season and that was Houston learning from something that happened earlier in the year that they used to their benefit later in the year and coach said yeah we just gave him five seconds we put five seconds on the board at practice to see how far he could get that way he would have a good you know feel of how much time five seconds really is because you know running up and down the floor you really don't have a you know an idea of what five seconds feels like so that was kind of cool how you you learn from a moment like that um I think winning the American Conference title game was something that was a highlight as well because Houston swept the conference award, uh, conference titles. They won the regular season, as we know. Uh, Memphis beat the Cougars twice during the regular season, so Memphis yeah. was feeling some kind of way about that. And you know, seeing the players really want to win that ring as well to keep Memphis without a, you know, a ring or a championship banner, uh, that was a highlight. Looking through the NCAA tournament too, like. Every matchup had a, a storyline, like Jordan Walker, Conference USA Player of the Year, seeing Jamal Shedd hold him to one for 10, three-point shooting. Uh, well, how are the Cougars going to handle the most dominant big man in the country and Kofi Coburn? And did a really good job of it. And seeing you know a, a spot late in the game, which Kofi, when he realized defeat, he was like, man, they got the, they got the better of me today. Same thing with Benedict Matherin, who maybe is the best college guard in, in the entire country. So, you know, those tournament – those tournament highlights are usually ones that you look at a little bit closer because that's when everybody's really watching you under a microscope. Those are the games that everybody really gets into, even though you have a full regular season where you have meaningful moments and significant moments. Those are the ones I think are going to stand out for me looking back. 
It was actually the first game of the season. Kind of set the tone. Mine, I remember Tyson Moore hitting that big shot three to um, against Hofstra, and to me, that kind of really was the mark of his season. He made big plays after big plays, whether it's making shots after shots. But the other one that sticks out is the famous Fabian save. I think you got it as your um, profile pick, or you had it for for a minute. From your vantage point, how was that play? Yeah, I think those are two signature plays from the season. I forgot about the Tajay Moore three. I'll be honest with you. That, that was so long ago. So much has happened. Yeah. <laughs> but you're right. That was a, I mean, a great signature moment when you look back at this season. To me, what that signature moment really symbolizes looking back was the arrival of Tajay Moore. It's like, okay, we, we, know, we know the name. We've seen the, the, the highlights on Instagram. We, we know what he can do. But what's he going to look like as a Houston Cougar? And, you know, hitting that big shot, it's like, okay, this is his arrival. This is his arrival, you know, wearing the scarlet and white and then seeing the highlight reel that Tajay Moore was all season long and then really developing as a basketball player uh, throughout the entire season too. I think seeing his development in just this one season uh, is going to be something that helps him out professionally going forward. So that to me was like Tajay's arrival and then seeing him mature as a player and then, you know, what he did in the NCAA tournament, just playing his heart out every single game and, you know, becoming a, you know, a score offensively, somebody that the Cougars would go to when they needed a bucket a lot of times. And then, of course, he kind of put a bow on his year with winning the slam dunk contest. Mm-hmm. That was so cool to see. And then, you know, he's a forever Cougar now. And that was that's really cool to see his year and just the one year and what he brought to the table. And then the, the play you mentioned, you, I, I, it just slipped my mind. Yeah, Fabian White, Tajay Moore, what I had a buddy – send me the uh a screen grab of that and anytime somebody sends me a screen grab of that i usually appease them and i'll put it on social media (laughs) Uh, but it was a it was a funny picture but that play i think epitomizes what houston is you know as well because you had everything happening before even fabian white was chasing after the loose ball right you had you were getting a defensive stop Uh, you were tipping a rebound you were swatting a rebound away just hopeful that you know you had a cougar there and then you had the hustle by Fabian White, but on top of the hustle, I think what made it such a special play was you had the hustle of Fabian, but also the presence of mind of Fabian to bat the ball towards the basket, right? Like it's one thing to try to save it, but it's another thing of, okay, I'm going to position the basketball in case I have somebody running towards the rim, that they're just going to grab it and lay it up and in. So from like the Fabian White perspective, the hustle, I think, epitomizes Cougar basketball, but then also the IQ, you know, the high basketball IQ of Fabian White, the high basketball IQ of the Houston Cougars as a team to know where to go with the ball, you know, after you get there. It's almost like playing pool, right? Like, you know, you want to mm-hmm. knock the seven ball into the corner pocket, but where do you want to leave that ball for your next shot? Like, how are you going to set it up? And that's kind of what I think Fabian was doing. I don't know if Fabian knew Tajay was there. Maybe Tajay was yelling at him. I have no idea. But then the, the extra, you know, Tajay Moore is the one who finished it, of course, with the layup. But then also the the hustle by Tajay Moore. Like how many people are hustling when they're watching somebody else chase down a loose ball that I'm going to get to that spot just in case he does get there. Like there was no guarantee Fabian White was getting to that ball. In fact, I'm shocked that he got to that ball. I didn't think he was going to have the space. I didn't think he was going to have the speed to get there, but he did. Tajay Moore also was running the floor and rim running with the hope that Fabian White would get there. Uh, so I thought that was one of the – you're right, Dan. That was one of that was one of my favorite plays all season long because of the presence of mind, the hustle you have to have. It was a big moment in the game, and yeah, I, I, that's going to be one of my favorite moments of the season for sure. 
you know, along those lines and, and something we weren't really able to touch on in the, in the first segment. But uh, obviously, of course, this team had three transfer the, uh, transfers. They really uh, fit right into uh, the roster, the rotation. And, and obviously, of course, the word that Houston likes to use culture uh, and Kyler Edwards, Tajay Moore and, of course, Josh Carlton. And, and obviously, we just talked about uh, Moore and then the impact he had. I mean, especially in that middle Nova game where Houston was struggling to score offensively and, and Tajay Moore was really one of the only players that they, they found a go-to option. And they rallied behind him at the very end where they had a shot um, and, and they rallied behind him. But you had Kyler Edwards. He came up with big moments throughout that NCAA tournament run. Uh, certainly in both those Illinois-Arizona games, he was really uh, sensational from his three-point shooting. And, and Josh Carlton, like you mentioned, and the – at the beginning of conference play when they lose Sasser, they don't have Mark anymore. And he was a big anchor throughout the season where it always seemed like uh, with this team and, and kind of the, the old saying strength of numbers, but you really could never really pinpoint who was to go to a Houston score Houston guy, because uh, one game it could be Fabian white. Another it could be more, another it could be Kyler. And it was always someone so different, but those three uh, transfers really played a pivotal role and, and kind of, uh, fitting right in and they were like the perfect puzzle pieces. Yeah. I think that's a testament to Kelvin Sampson's recruiting, whether it's transfers or whether it's bringing in the high school kids is that he has a specific player in mind or even like a specific mindset of what that player like needs to have. Right. I mean, he talks mm-hmm. about this all the time. He says Houston's not going to be a place that, that has a bunch of five stars. And he's like, like, what's a five star? You know, he doesn't put yeah. a whole lot of stock and, I mean, he's seen it all. I trust his opinion, obviously, way more than I trust some recruiting service. Uh, but he, he doesn't look at it from a five-star where somebody's ranked. Like, he, he sees a player and he sees if he's either going to be a fit or if he's not. If he's not going to be a fit, he's, he's out. You know, He has that line that he likes to talk about, that there's a lot of players that get recruited that he'd rather play against than with. Mm-hmm. And, and I think it comes down to, to, to having that – it's hard to quantify, right? We call it culture. You know, is it a Houston Cougar DNA? Is it, you know, the genes of the player that they have to have to come into this program? But he sees it. You know, and a lot of some people might not see it at first, but he sees it. He knows that that's what they're going to transform into being. And he just has the, you know, the foresight of being able to do that. You know, I think he does that with the transfer portal as well. Uh, they recruited Kyler Edwards out of high school. You know, they saw what he was doing at Texas Tech. They played a, a you know, regular season game against Texas Tech at Dickey's Arena during the COVID year. Uh, obviously, they knew who Josh Carlton was. They had a lot of battles with Josh Carlton back when he was at UConn. They saw the toughness that you know he he had in him. They saw what type of player he could be. Uh, and then the same thing with Tajay Moore. Uh, coach talks about the relationship he had with the Cal State Bakersfield head coach and you know how that's a difficult call to make, but you know that he he had great things to say about Tajay Moore and how that relationship uh, was something that was a factor, but. It, to me, it comes down to the DNA of the player. And Kelvin Sampson recognizes the DNA of a player. And there's probably, I mean, let's just say for the sake of math, you're, you're looking at 100 high school basketball recruits or you're looking at 100 players in the transfer portal. I think the first question that Coach probably asks himself is, is, is this a Houston Cougar culture guy? Does he have the DNA or does he not? And if he does, okay, well, this is worth pursuing. If he doesn't, cross him off the list, you know, and reduce the player pool that way. Uh, but he has an uncanny, uncanny ability to be able to see what a player has in their DNA, to know how it's going to fit the culture. And uh, to me, he only goes after those guys. Like, if you don't have that DNA, you're not going to be a Houston Cougar. And it's pretty much that simple. 
Yep, I kind of want to switch a little bit just as a fan perspective. What's it like, Bill, like working with Elvin Hayes, the, the time that you've worked with him? What's that um, been like? I think the best thing of working with the Big E is to call the Big E a friend. Like, everybody comes up to, to Elvin and, you know, wants to talk to him about, you know, his days back at U of H and going to, you know, back-to-back Final Fours and being the greatest Houston Cougar basketball player of all time, talking about his days in the NBA with Washington, you know, all the stops. People always want to, you know, have his autograph and and things like that. And I understand why. Like, I get it. Uh, He's one of the the greatest basketball players of all time. He's one of the best college basketball players of all time and the best Houston Cougar basketball player uh, of all time. So it, it, it's cool to have somebody with that status, right. That you're there with, but the best part to me is getting to know the, you know, Elvin from, you know, having that friendship with him, you know, calling the games, you know, the hours they were spending together on game days, you know, talking between the breaks and just, just being friends, you know, I can call Big E and be like, Hey, Big E, what's going on? You know, uh, that's what I value the most. I mean, it's great that he was a great college basketball player. And I certainly respect that, obviously. Uh, but the biggie, you know, being a friend to me is the thing that I cherish the most. You know, we we drive to, you know, whenever we go out of town, he, he doesn't go to many road games anymore. Uh, but conference tournament is one that he'll go to and we'll, we'll ride together on game days and, you know, just kind of shoot the breeze. And that's something that I, I value the most. You know, it's great to work with the biggie Elvin Hayes, but it's even better to call him a friend. As we begin to wind things down, uh, don't go anywhere. Coming right up, our conversation with Jeremy Branham continues as we look ahead to next season and talk a little bit more about his relationship with Kelvin Sampson coming right up on Pod Slam and Jam. And we're back here on Pod Slam and Jam, joined by our guest, Jeremy Branham, uh, voice of the UH men's basketball team. And, you know, along those lines that Dayon said in our previous segment, your relationship with Elvin Hayes, uh, uh, along those lines, I'd imagine you have a relationship with Kelvin Sampson. Obviously, of course, uh, I believe it's when conference play starts, you and Kelvin Sampson host the Kelvin Sampson radio show every every Monday. Uh, how is that like being able to host a, a show with Kelvin Sampson? It's uh, Kelvin's awesome. I mean, he, he gets it and he knows everything. I mean, he, he does learning. I learned a lot of life lessons from coach Sampson, which don't tell him I said that, but you know, being <laughs> in his practices and stuff like watching how hard they work kind of makes you rethink how hard you need to work in your profession. And, and I say that with a hundred percent sincerity watching them practice has made me better at my job. And that's not even just, I mean, you can learn a lot from watching a practice. If you're the radio guy for a basketball team, you get an idea of like their philosophy. What do they want to do the next day against Kofi Coburn? Uh, so I, I love going to practices to kind of get an idea of like what it's going to look like, what, what, what they, what their game plan is. But I think the thing that I take away from, from it the most is the life lessons and how much I realized that I didn't work very hard. Like I thought I worked hard until I watched Kelvin Sampson work. And it's like, I need to step it up a notch. I need to, you know, be able to get there if I want to be successful with what I'm doing in my life. So that's something that I will value forever uh, seeing that as far as the shows, I mean, coach is so smart. He is so witty. Uh, he can play to the crowd. He can joke with the crowd. We have a, a guy named John who always asks our first questions and he'll go, he'll, he'll give it to yeah. John, you know, <laughs> he'll give him the business and it's, it's fun. It's awesome. Uh, I, I really appreciate that hour that we get to do together. 
uh, more than most people probably realize because it seems like, oh, it's just a job, right? You're just doing it for an hour, you know, you punch out at the end of the day. Uh, but hearing his life lessons, hearing some of the stories that he's had along the way, like I try to learn. That's something that, you know, I, mm -hmm. I try to take pride in is that uh, I think outside of radio that I'm really quiet. And I think the reason that I'm really quiet is because I got two ears, one mouth, and I want to learn. I want to, I, I seek information. And if you're the type of person that seeks information, I mean, Coach Sampson is the place to go because it's not just basketball. I mean, he is a sharp dude. He is smart. I mean, he works so hard that eth the work ethic he has is something that I don't think anybody can model themselves after, but it's definitely been something that I, I felt like I needed to take a step up to just watching the, the way he works and you know the, the work ethic that he has. But, yeah, I, I cherish every moment. I mean, I consider myself incredibly lucky to be in this position, you know, to be able to, to call games for a team that's one of the top two, top three programs in the last however many years, a team that went to the Elite Eight this year, Final Four last year, that's winning 30-something games, that's coached by, in my opinion, a Hall of Fame coach. I mean – people would kill to, to be in my seat. So that's something I take, uh, I don't take for granted. Uh, I, I remind myself of that every day. And it's the same thing with those shows. Like uh, I, you know, I'm just trying to, you know, listen to a little bit of Kelvin Sampson wisdom, if I'm being honest with you. I have a quick follow to that. Do you have, do you have a favorite Kelvin Sampson saying? Because you know, he always has his sayings. My favorite ones I probably can't share with you guys. Maybe I'll <laughs> But uh, he's got so many. Uh, he uh, here's another thing with Coach. If you ask Coach a dumb question, you're he's, you're going to hear that it's yeah. not a very good question. And you know, I'm not I'm not you know the best at my job. So I ask him a few. <laughs> I, there's a few there's a few shows where I ask him a dumb question, and he's like, "Yeah, I probably wasn't your best there, JB." And I'm like, "Yeah, you're probably right, Coach. I'm going to learn from that moment." But uh, he, um, you know, he's got his old saying. He's like, "If you, it's like trying to explain." water to somebody no 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 i got that backwards it's like mm -hmm. trying to explain the atlantic ocean to nobody somebody who's never seen water um you know he doesn't know if he was on foot or horseback yes i remember that he, <laughs> he doesn't say this as much anymore because he's got some size now uh but back whenever he i think it was the first i think it was the ncaa tournament team that went I think it was with Rob Gray, and they, they went to the round of 32. They won their first NCAA tournament game since the mid-'80s. And, you know, you had a pretty small team because you had, like, Nurizana there. I can't remember the exact years. You, you, you could probably look it up. I, I don't want to say specifically what team. But there was a time when Houston wasn't as big as they are now. And he would say, well, size mattered. What happened with the dinosaurs? You know, so he is he, – there's so many sayings. There's, there's a lot. There's too many to count. Well, man, I have to give you your flowers because when I was in undergrad and, and I, I knew what I wanted to do, I knew to see what I was doing. I you along with um, Gerald Sanchez, shadowed you for a couple games, man. You you gave me a, a template that I still use to this day when I call games. You helped me get in with takes and live, and just kind of helped me continue and build my career. And so you definitely, and I continue a, a mentor and you definitely helped me get started. So I definitely want to give you your flowers as well for not only just giving me um, information and, and giving me knowledge and just why hearing you and to see how busy you are to keep going only inspires me to keep going even more. So I definitely, just like you talked about Coach Sampson, have to give you your flowers because you definitely helped me as well, for sure. Well, Dan, I appreciate you saying that. You didn't need to say that, but I appreciate you doing it. It gives me goosebumps <laughs> a little bit too. Um, I feel like I owe that to, to people, to be honest with you, especially people that I see talent in and I see effort in, right. That, that want to work hard at their craft, which you do day on, you both do. 
uh, I keep up with both of you. Um, to me, I, I, I didn't have that. I didn't have that, you know, growing into, you know, a broadcaster. I, I was self-motivated. You know, I didn't have a mentor. I didn't have somebody that I could go to. Um, and it made things a little more difficult. Uh, so I want to give that to people because I, I, I and, and look, I don't, I'm nowhere near in the stature and the class of many others. And I understand that. Um, but one thing that I really pride myself with in my career is not, you know, the status or the money or fame. I couldn't care less about any of that stuff. People are like, well, what do you want to, you know, how do you want to be remembered? I, I want to be remembered as somebody like, you know, their kids loved them or, you know, they had something that they really enjoyed doing and loved and had a passion for it. And I do, I have a passion for this. Uh, I have a passion for calling games. I have a passion for talking sports. Uh, it's not about fame or, you know, any of that stuff. I couldn't care less. Uh, if no one knew my name, that'd be fun story. I don't care about my story. So whenever, you know, you, I have you know, people do, do come to me and ask me, what do you think about this? What do you think about that? I want to help them. Somebody that's respected. I want to be somebody that, hey, man, that guy, that guy, call him. He'll help you out. He'll have an answer for you. He'll, he'll help you along the way. That's something that I take a lot of pride in. So I appreciate you saying that, Dayon. And uh, yeah, I feel like I owe it to people. Like I owe it to the industry. And yeah, hang my hat on. So thank you. Yeah, that, that's awesome. I, I have to echo what, what Dayon said. I mean, uh, not to obviously, of course, you can see in your background, you have the the words that say ESPN 97.5. And we reached out to you. And like we said at the beginning of the show, we're grateful that you took time out of your day to to be able to speak with us. Uh, obviously, of course, on the Houston Cougars, but taking time out of your day, not everyone does that. So we're, we're truly grateful. Well, Andy, if you're calling me about like picking up my my car insurance or like you know the chores I have to do or like my annual checkup, I'm probably not taking those calls. But if you want to talk to me about it, take that call every single time. Yeah, I mean, I was about to reach out to you about car insurance. <laughs> No, I was just going to say, I knew way too early top 25 coming in with um, we're not not really knowing if Marcus is coming back, but let's just assume he is. Tremont's coming back along with the class and all the other returners coming in. I don't know if you saw that way top 25, but as you kind of look ahead, what's your um, perspective on how the season – well, not the season, the team that they're, and all the talent that the guys got coming back and bringing in? I did look at a few of those. I, I, I had a couple of those. I was you know, looking at Twitter today, show prep, things like that. And I, I did look at a few of those and I think that they're accurate. Um, I look, I'd be lying to you if I didn't say I paid attention to, you know, the player movement and, you know, who's going entering the transfer portal, what players are out on the transfer portal. I'll be very excited. Anytime somebody you know announces a commitment to the university of Houston, just like I was very excited when, you know, Jarris Walker is committed or Terrence Arsenault is committed or Emmanuel Sharp is committed. I mean, I pay attention. I don't deep dive into any of that because uh, Coach Sampson said this after, you know, the Elite Eight, uh, Elite Eight loss. Like, you know, what are you going to be like next year? And he said, I'll tell you one thing, we're going to be good. And that's where Houston's at. Like, I mean, I, 
I don't know who the starting five are going to be next year, but I know they're going to be good. I know they're going to be well coached. I know they're going to play hard. I know they're going to be one of the best teams in the country. So I don't let myself get lost a whole lot in the whole player movement, which is bigger now than it's ever been. I mean, let's be honest. I'll pay attention to it. I'll be excited when somebody commits. Uh, But I don't lose my mind over it because I know that this program's in a great spot. I know it's under great leadership. And I know that they're going to win a lot of games, no matter who the starting five is going to be. And of course, the Final Four is going to be in Houston. So you you already have the, the all the buzz from from the Houston fans. I think it was uh, Joseph Duarte of the Houston Chronicle. The moment uh, last last night's championship game ended, he tweeted about uh, the the NCA Final Four logo for next year, and that created a lot of buzz. So, like you said, this Houston program, and honestly, it's amazing. Where uh, we all know the story going back to to the '60s when they had. Um, Alvin Hayes, and obviously, of course, the, the game of the century, everything they had to the 80s with the five slam jamma teams with, you know, Hakeem Olajuwon, and, and you know those stories with Clyde Drexler. And and then it was a lot of, you know, looking back at the past and, and everything that the glory days was until 2014 when Calvin Sampson joined. And he always talks about how much apathy there was for, for the program. And now, like you said, they're at a point where, uh, they're nationally relevant, like with all the way too early AP um, top 25 predictions, they all have them in the top 10 that, that I've seen, which is it's just absurd to see how quickly of a resurgence this program has done under Calvin Sampson's leadership. And like you said earlier, it's a testament to what Sampson and his, his coaching staff have been able to do uh, at Houston. Yeah, the program might not have been dead, but it was close, right? I mean, it was dormant. Mm-hmm. I mean, there weren't a whole lot of fans coming to watch Houston Cougar basketball. Uh, there weren't a whole lot of wins uh, with the, the Houston Cougars as well. There were some, not a ton. And I think Coach you know, says this the best, too. You know, he didn't, ha- he didn't have the help. Like, the administration wasn't helping you. He said that, you know, you weren't changing anything that you were doing, yet you were bringing in coaches and firing them every three or four years, but you weren't really helping them. You weren't helping their cause. And that's something that Coach Sampson has changed, you know. If we're, we're going to be dedicated to winning basketball games, we got to be better across the board. It can't just be, you know, the, the starting five that we roll out there. It can't just be, you know, the, the players that we're recruiting. It's got to be a total effort. It's got to be the the building of a Guy V. Lewis. It's got to be the building of a Fertitta Center and renovating that thing up. But you're right. I mean, it's happened in a very, very short time. Like, it, it's – it's weird to say that. And I hadn't thought about that. Like one thing I always look at the Astros is how the Astros went from being a perennial hundred game loser. Nobody was watching them on TV. Nobody was going to their ball, uh, going to the ballpark to watch the games and they got good pretty quick. That's the same thing with Houston. I mean, eight years in Kelvin Sampson and he's been, you know, the, he's been to the NCAA tournament uh, every season would be five years. If it weren't for the COVID year that was lost, went to the sweet 16, three straight years for the first time in a long time, elite eight, back-to-back years, Final Four in one of those years, and to do it from where they were when he took over, when it was a very dark Hoffman's Pavilion, the lights were terrible, uh, no one was going to the games. He, the, the, I saw a bunch of the, the videos come out where he was going around you know, the campus at U of H with the big bullhorn, hey, yeah. come to our games, well, come watch our games, and now they're selling out. You know, now people are fighting over tickets, you know what I mean? So you're right, you know, to do that in eight years, unbelievable. Yeah, well, I can remember the last game of Hot Finds that Akeem Olajuwon, the last dunk on the rim, and then fast forward now to the very first game. Um, I think it was against Oregon, if my memory serves me right. And just talk about now, uh, 
at as a year or maybe negotiation, but the movement to the Big 12 and the big crowds, me and you talked about a little bit off air, but what's your expectation as far as going into the Big 12? I know Houston's going to be good, but just as far as the crowd and Houston fans and just continuing to build that buzz even more and more as more teams are going to come in and face like the Kansas and things like that. Yeah, I think Fertitta Center, when Fertitta Center is rocking, it's there's not a better college basketball environment out there. AT&T Center for the Elite Eight was rocking too now there in San Antonio. Yeah. Shout out to the Houston Cougar fans that that made that uh, a reality. And that's the way it should be every game for the Fertitta Center. Like you're not you're not coming to the Fertitta Center to watch Baylor. You're not coming to watch Texas Tech. You're not coming to watch West Virginia. You're coming to watch the Houston Cougars. I mean, Houston Cougars are one of the best basketball teams in the entire country. They've been to the Elite Eight back-to-back years. They've been to the Final Four two years ago. Sweet 16, three years in a row. They're going to be ranked. They're going to be good. Uh, and, look, Houston fans have sold out for Fertitta Center. So, you know, they, they've done a good job selling the tickets. I think the next level is, like, getting, you know, making sure that those seats are fill, full every single game, uh, which is something that they're working on. And I believe that will happen. Um, what I'm most excited for, and it, it might it might be putting the uh, the cart ahead of the horse a little bit here because it's still a couple years away, you know. Officially, when it happens, we don't know yet. What I'm really looking forward to is the road venues. If I'm being honest, I love going <laughs> on the road. I, I love the atmospheres on the road. I love people yelling at you, you know, just saying everything that they're saying about you. And then my favorite sound in sports is the is the silencing of a home crowd when you're the visiting. <laughs> Uh, if you can silence a home crowd when you're on the road, there is not a better sound in sports because you have only one area that's cheering, and that's the visiting bench. Uh, I love that sound. So I'm really excited to, you know, in the future when it does happen, to go into these sold-out crowds in, you know, Waco or Stillwater or Morgantown or in Lawrence, wherever it may be, uh, and going into those arenas with that electric atmosphere, you know, it's going to be the biggest game on ESPN that night. And, you know, having that college basketball, you know, environment, which is something that I love. I mean, I, I've loved it my entire life. So I'm looking forward to it from that point of view. Um, it's hard to imagine that it won't be the best basketball conference whenever it does happen mm -hmm. uh, in the entire country. Now look at the back-to-back -back national champions. I mean, Kansas won it last night. Baylor won it two years ago. The, the new Big 12 had two Final Four teams uh, last year with Baylor and Houston. So that's what I'm most looking forward to. You know, I, I'll be very excited when it does happen. Uh, I'm very excited for next year. But those environments, I, that's what we – I mean, that's why radio guys do radio, I think, especially play-by-play, -play, is because you get goosebumps whenever you're in those environments. So I can't wait. And on that note, we'll close things out. Jeremy, thank you again for joining us. Uh, this is your time to plug, man. Where can people find you and where can they listen to you on, on your radio show? Oh, you don't want to hear from me. Thanks for having <laughs> me, guys. I appreciate it. Anytime, anytime you guys want to talk uh, Cougar sports, I'd be happy to do it. Yes, right, I'm thank you that. so much. You can, you can follow him on Twitter at Jeremy Branham. Uh, that's at Jeremy Branham on Twitter. So he's too humble to be able to plug himself. We thank you again for, for joining us and um, that's going to do it for our inaugural video podcast here on Pod Slam Jamma covering your UH athletics. <laughs>